Our University of Louisville Cardinals winning the National Basketball Championship of the Year. As we looked at these principles that were key to UofL winning the championship this year, we've been looking at the parallels and how that, those principles can compare also to the church and how the church, if we're going to be successful, how some of those principles that UofL followed also can apply to us today. The first part of the series, Pastor Jamal, he, he talked about uh, making disciples, how it is important and critical to the church if we're going to be successful, if we're going to glorify God, if we're going to accomplish what he has called us to do, it's going to first start with us making disciples. And then last week, Pastor Nate, he talked to us about, uh, about building a championship team and building a championship team through unity, through diversity, and through maturity. And today I want to talk to you about defending the truth. Rise to the occasion, defending the truth. If you would, turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And before we do, I'm going to go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, our God, we again humbly come into your presence. Lord, we desire to hear a message from you. I pray that you, Lord, will speak to our hearts and help us, Lord God, to see and to understand what it is you would have for us to know when it comes to defending the truth. I pray, Father, that you will overcome any hindrances, any obstacles, Father God, that we may have built up, Lord, in our own hearts from hearing your word, whether that's through just regularity of coming to Sunday worship or, or whatever they may be, Father God. I pray that you, Lord, will speak and to speak beyond those obstacles and above those obstacles, Father. Now, Lord, I pray that you will be glorified in all that is going to be said for your glory and for your glory alone. It is in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. If you will turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And as the custom is, if you would stand to your feet. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. The word of the Lord reads, Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. He appeared in a body, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is to be received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God in prayer. If you point these things out to the brothers, you would be a good minister of Christ Jesus, brought up in the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance, and for this we labor and strive, and we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, and especially of those who believe. May the Lord have a blessing upon the hearers and readers of his word. Amen. Anyone who is familiar with University of Louisville basketball knows that the one thing that set UofL apart from any other team in the nation 
was their tenacious defense. Louisville had defense that was just so tenacious and so overwhelming. Louisville's defense was so relentless and, and exhausting for opposing teams that they wouldn't even be able to bring the ball up the court. By the second half of the game, players would just be so tired on the opposing team that they would just fall apart, and Louisville would just over, overcome them and, and take the game into their own hands. And so we see this defense was key. It was important for Louisville to play this type of defense, and that is what led them to winning the national championship of the year. In fact, Louisville, I think they lived up to that saying that offense wins games, but defense wins championships. And what a great parallel we have when we look at how UofL play defense and what God is calling the church to do in defending the truth. If the church is going to be successful, if we're going to glorify the Lord, if we're going to present to a world who does not know God, if we're going to bear the image of God, then we must defend the truth. As believers in the risen Savior, we must stand on God's word in a world that has low regard for the truth. As we look at what Paul has to say in, in his letter to Timothy, I want to point out three things that, that we can look at in defending the truth. Three things in regards to defending the truth. The church's call, the church's defense, and the church's health. The church's call, the church's defense, and the church's health. The Apostle Paul understood the importance of defending the truth. Many of his letters, we see him speaking about false teachers who had maybe infiltrated the church or who had maybe a long impression upon the church, those who maybe even have been in the body, who may have been a part of the faith, but were not teaching a doctrine that was sound, it was not biblical. And so Paul was constantly writing letters and talking to and warning his congregation, warning the churches about these false teachers. And his letter to Timothy is no exception. Timothy is serving as the overseer, or as we know, the pastor of Ephesus, the church in Ephesus. And we see him pastoring that church. And in his letter to Timothy, Paul is warning him about false teachers. In fact, that is the very reason why Paul wanted Timothy to stay in Ephesus. In chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Paul writes to Timothy and he tells him that he wants Timothy to stay in Ephesus so that he can command certain men not to teach false doctrine. Translation, he wanted Timothy to defend the truth, uphold the truth, and stand on God's word. We might be 2,000 years removed from when Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, but the same problems exist today as they did then. We find ourselves in the same shape, if not worse, than they did then. People are being misled by lies. Lies about what will make them happy. Lies about what a man should look for in a woman and what a woman should look for in a man. Lies about who we are and what our purpose is in life. Lies about who God is and who Jesus Christ is and what he approves of and what he honors. So we see there are, are plenty of lies, and, and for that reason, we are called to defend the truth so people would have true answers to real problems. But defending the truth is more than just having the right answers to life's questions. It's about pointing people to the one who is the answer to life's questions. And we know that answer is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so when we see this letter to Paul, and we see him writing, or Paul's letter to Timothy, and him writing Timothy and heaven telling him to, to uphold these things, to be firm in the faith, to stand strong, to, to fight the good fight of faith, all of these things center around him telling Timothy to defend the truth. Above all, Timothy, defend the truth. The first thing we see in verses 14 through 16 is the church's call to defend the truth. In verse 14, it reads, Although I have hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the pillar and the foundation of the truth. 
Beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. He appeared in a body, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, and was taken up in glory. So what is Paul telling us here? I, I like the way he starts out there. Timothy, if I'm delayed in coming to you, I wrote these instructions, these instructions that I've laid out in the letter to you. If I'm delayed in coming to you, I've written this letter so that you will know how God's people or how people should conduct themselves in the house of God, in the church. The church is you and me. The church is not the building. It's the people who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. So he says, I want you to know how people ought to conduct themselves, how they are to glorify the name of the holy God that we serve. It, it reminds me of, of Jesus Christ leaving his words, the Bible, Genesis through Revelations for us so that we would know how we are to conduct ourselves as God's people until he comes again. And so we see Paul writing this letter under the inspiration, inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he's talking about God's church. He's talking about God's household, those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ and are now a part of God's family. He says, these instructions that I'm, that I'm leaving you would be so that they would know how to conduct themselves. And then we see in verse 15, he says, if I'm delayed, you will know this. And in 15b, the second part of that verse, he says about the church or God's household, he said, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of the truth. I like what Paul doesn't say. He doesn't say the church which should be the pillar and the foundation of the truth. But he says, the church which is, which is the pillar and the foundation of the truth. No doubt Paul in the early church, he, he's surrounded in, in, in the Roman environment where you have so many buildings that, that had these particular pillars and these columns in the front that held up the roof of these massive temples and these massive buildings. And we see that Paul reflecting on those buildings. And he says that this is how the church, God's household, should be upholding the truth. This is how God's people should be supporting the truth. They are to be pillars and to be foundations to support the truth. The one thing that we see about the truth that there is a truth to be defended. Paul doesn't even question whether there is a such thing as an absolute truth. He says that there is an absolute truth, and he says that the church is the one who's qualified to defend this truth. No one is better qualified to defend the truth than the church of God. In fact, not only is no one better qualified to defend the truth, no one is able to defend the truth but those who are in the house of God. Now, I know that causes some people heartburn. I, I really do. I know it causes some people heartburn to make a claim such as that. Because I, I can hear some people saying, well, what about those who are not believers and, and those who don't believe in God? Are you saying that they can't defend the truth? And, and yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. The church is qualified to defend the truth because the church has Jesus Christ. The church is qualified to defend the truth because the church has Jesus Christ. Our confession in Christ uniquely qualifies the church to defend the truth because he is the truth. He is the truth, and, and there's no one else who is the truth but Jesus Christ. And so the truth is not a concept. The truth is a person. The truth is a person. If you don't have Christ, you don't have the truth. You can't defend something that you don't have. I like what Jesus said in John chapter 18 when Jesus was in the presence of Pontius Pilate getting ready to be crucified for your sins and my sins. He's in the presence of Pontius Pilate, and Pontius Pilate is asking him these questions and asking him if he's a true king. And then in John chapter 18, verse 37, Jesus Christ 
He answers him. He says, you are right saying I am a king. He says, for this reason I was born. And for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Those are the words of Jesus Christ. He says, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. It is our faith in Jesus Christ as the only begotten Son who died on the cross for your sins and my sins that uniquely qualifies you and me to defend the truth, to be pillars and foundation of the truth. And this is why we see the church is able to defend the truth. The church is uniquely qualified to do so. I know it's not popular today, though. It's not popular. It's not popular to, for a group or for anyone to, to declare in this day and age that they are the ones who have the lockdown on truth and what truth is. It's not popular to claim that you are the pillar and the foundation of the truth. It's not popular because we live in a time in which people want the truth, but they don't want to live by the truth. They want the truth but they don't want to live by the truth. When you say the church is a pillar of the truth, some people respond that you're causing divisions. That's causing, that's, that's showing that we're intolerable. And we know that's not the case. But we see, I like what Augustine said, the great scholar, the great father of the faith. He said, we love truth when it enlightens us, but we hate it when it convicts us. We love truth when it, when, it, when it enlightens us, but we hate it when it convicts us. That's why we have people saying that there's no way for one to know what truth is. Rather than defending the truth, we define the truth in our own terms. So rather than defending it, we try to mold truth into our own terms and our own opinions. That's why today we have such lot of, so many discussions about what truth is and individuals saying that there's no absolute truth, that truth is a matter of your opinion and what you want it to be. Whenever we bend the truth to accommodate our own desires, we are denying the truth rather than defending it. Whenever we bend the truth to accommodate our own desires, our own sinful nature, then we are not defending the truth, we're denying the truth. And that's what we see in the world today, and even, unfortunately, sometimes in the church. We bend, we have a tendency to bend the truth to accommodate our own desires, to accommodate what we want to do. You know how we can get sometimes we want to justify what it is we want to do. If we're not sure it's in the Bible, we're like, I, don't, I didn't see that in the Word. I didn't see that there. Or if it's in the Word, sometimes we have a tendency, even though it's so plain and so so straightforward, it's like, well, that's not exactly what that meant. Or the word is out of touch. That was then, this is now. The one thing we know about truth, truth does not change. Truth does not change based on one's opinion or time. Truth is truth. It's absolute. It's the measuring line by which everything should be measured. I like what Tony Evans said when talking about absolute truth. He said, people want objective standards when it comes to everything else but not for their own lives, to live for, for how to live their life. We want objective truth for everything in the world, but not for how to live our own life. Many of you have had to go to the doctor and may have had to have surgery and, and, and you had to have a doctor cut an incision to, give, to, have, to, to perform the surgery and, and you want a doctor who knows what he's doing. And if you were to go to a doctor... And that doctor was to say, you know what, the University of Louisville Medical School, they said that we should make the incision this way, and although all my colleagues are making the incision this way, it's in my opinion that I'm going to make the incision this way. Or if you jumped on a plane, and someone, the pilot got on the speaker and he said, I'm, I'm glad that you're with us today and hope you enjoy your flight and this is the first time that uh, I'm flying the plane. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're with us. I've, I've been taught well in the school of, of aeronautics, but in spite of what they told me, I think, it's, I think this is the lever that I should, you should use to take off. 
if your doctor or a pilot said that you would be out of there as quick as you can say, I'm gone. Because you want absolute truth. There is an absolute truth. Some people say, well, truth is your opinion and my opinion. Well, how could that be? If, if I want to take something that's yours, I think it's right. You might think it's wrong. Who's right? And so we see Jesus Christ is the truth. And the church is the pillar and the foundation of the truth. In Jesus Christ, there is true joy, true peace, true love. True happiness, true righteousness, true forgiveness, true patience, true faith. There is in Jesus Christ truth. And if we're trying to seek truth outside of Christ, then we will not find it. I like what Paul does in, in verse 16. Paul gets so caught up in talking about truth, and he knows who Christ is, and he, and he knows that Christ is the truth. He, he reveals to us who is the truth in verse 16, and it breaks out with a hymn. Don't just look at those verses as just verses. That is a hymn that Paul is writing there. In the middle of the letter, Paul says, Timothy, I'm going to worship right now. I got a hymn. I want to talk to you about he is the one who, who came in the body, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, and was taken up in glory. This is the truth. This is the truth I'm talking to about. Jesus is the mystery of God that has been revealed to us. He is God in the flesh. Now we know who God is. We know God's character. We know what God is like. We know what God defines as truth and what God does not define as truth. What God defines as sin and what he sees as holy because he came in the flesh. This is the truth upon which the church must stand and everything else we believe is anchored in the truths of this hymn right here. The world may think you a fool for believing in Jesus for believing that you are the pillar and the foundation of the truth. But Psalm 13, 6 says me that only a fool would not believe in the God. You'd be a fool to not believe in God. That's what Psalm 13, 6 says. So whenever you're tempted to believe that, that lie that God does not care about you, you can look at this hymn and you can look at the first part of that hymn and say, he became like me in the flesh went through the same trials and tribulations that I did and, and suffered the shame that I should have suffered. He took the cross that I should have taken. He took the beatings that I should have taken. So how could I say he does not care about me, that I can reject that lie because of this hymn that Paul wrote before us? When I'm tempted to believe that Jesus Christ did not die on the cross and that he did not rise again from the grave, this hymn reminds me that Jesus Christ was vindicated by the Spirit, that he did rise from the grave on that third day, and that he was seen by the angels and told the women who came to the grave, he is not here, he has risen. That is the truth. So when you're tempted to believe the lie that's, that, that, that the story of Jesus is just made up, just some fairy tale, this hymn reminds us that he was preached among the nations by those who lost their lives testifying to this Jesus Christ. Those who had seen Jesus Christ. Over 500 people after his resurrection, it says that they lost their lives. They didn't lose their lives for a lie. They lost their lives for the truth. And so this hymn reminds us of this. The more blood that was spilled, the more people believed in the Savior known as Emmanuel, God with us. Because of his work, because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, we're on team Jesus. We're on his team because of what he did. He's given us a, a scholarship, a free scholarship to play on his team. But it wasn't one based on our own merits or based on how good we were. His scholarship was based on how good he was. And it was based on the blood that he shed on the cross for us. And like a scholar athlete on a team, Jesus paid the way for us to be on his team and so that we may learn the truths that resides in him. I'm telling you, the church is the pillar and the foundation of the truth. The church is qualified to be the, to the foundation of the truth. But not only do we see the church's call to defend the truth, 
we see the church's defenses. We see the church's defenses in chapter 4, verse 1 through 5. Paul writes, The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is to be received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. Knowing that we are called to defend or support the truth is just the beginning. Defending the truth is more than just knowing and speaking the truth. It's living it out in our daily lives. We defend the truth when we put on display the power of God's work in us to look more like Jesus Christ. But we must recognize and we must not ignore the fact that the church has a number of enemies that are trying to prevent the truth from going forward. Am I talking about people? Am I talking about your neighbor? Not necessarily, because what we talk about here in Paul, he says that people follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. He lets us know, he says, your opponent, your enemy, is the devil himself. And so we come recognizing and knowing that we have an enemy. And if we don't see that, that, that the, the real threat of this real enemy then we will suffer as a church. If we don't consider the devil as a real threat and we don't feel the need to defend the truth, then the church will suffer. We see Paul, he moves from focusing on the church, on the church's call to the false teachers that people were, were being led astray by. In verse 1 and 2 he says that they were, some will abandon the faith. There were some who were among them in the church who were amongst them, who were fellowshipping with the church. And he says they have abandoned the faith to follow after deceiving spirits who were teaching things that were not true. How often do we see that today? Within the house of God, in the churches of God, where people are led astray by deceitful teachings that come from no one but the father of lies says that they were forbidding people from marrying and eating certain foods. They were setting up these regulations and these stipulations saying that you could not marry someone. That uh, to, to not marry was seen as more holy and more righteous than to marry. And so they says you, you shouldn't marry or you can't marry and, and you shouldn't eat certain foods. And, and Paul says that that is not true. That is a lie. Paul highlights what they're doing compared to what God intended in verse 4 and 5. Telling them that for God created everything, and everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected. Now let's not run off with that, because we'll read that and we'll stick right there. and we'll, That'll be our memory verse for the month or for the year, right? So whenever we want something that we should not have or do something that we should not do, we'll look at that verse and we'll say, God created everything, and everything is, is good. Nothing is to be rejected. That's not what he's saying there. Scripture is contextual, so we must look at the entire Scripture and know that that's not exactly what Paul is saying. So we would do ourselves a disservice and a harm if we just pluck one verse out of God's Bible and run with that and say this is what God intends. The devil is at work in a number of places that appear to be the church, but are counterfeits of the real thing. Counterfeits. Counterfeits because they're not following Jesus Christ. They're not truly following and worshiping Jesus Christ. They look like the church. They may smell like the church, but they're not the church. May sound like the church, but they're not the church. Have you ever been to the store and bought something and you give them your, your bill, and, and they take that bill, and, and what do they do? They, the store knows that they, they take that bill, and they, they check it to make sure the bill is real. And they do this because they know that there's some money out in the system that appears to look like the real thing. It smells like the real thing, but they know it's not the real thing. 
It's not, it's not only is it not the real thing, but it doesn't have any real value because it didn't come from the real people, group, that have the authority to make money. So instead, the money having value, it has no value, even though it looks like real money. As a result, it has no value. One of the ways we, we test to make sure that that bill is real is they, they hold it up to the light. Right? They hold it up to the light. Some of you might get offended. You think that I'm going to, I got counterfeit money? But they do that because they know there's counterfeit money in the system. They hold it up to the light because in that bill is what's called a watermark. And that watermark is seen only when you hold it up to the light. And the same is true when it comes to God's household, when it comes to God and God's people. You want to know. You want to know what is the truth and what is not the truth. You better hold it up to the light of God's Word. Hold it up to God's Word and, and, and hold it up and measure it against God's Word and say, is it true or is it not true? Too many people are led astray because we're looking to follow those without doing the work ourselves to see if it's true or if it's not true. Because we think it sounds good. It gets us going. It gets us excited. It gets our emotions going. But is it true? Is it biblical? I like what Paul, he Paul's, Paul points to verse 5, and, he, and he, 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 he makes a beeline to the Word of God. He says, because it is consecrated by the Word of God in prayer. So he says that it's good... And God ordained marriage. He, he said you can eat whatever you want to eat because of his word. Holding it up to the light. And we must do the same. It reminds me of when Paul in Acts chapter 17, he's teaching in the synagogues. And we know Paul is, Paul is the man, right? I mean, we talk about Paul is scholarly. Paul was very intelligent was taught by Gamaliel, one of the premier scholars of that time. I mean, Paul was very intelligent, but yet even in Acts chapter 17, it says that when he went into the synagogues, the Bereans checked everything he said was scripture to make sure what he said was true. If they're going to check Paul, <laughs> you need to check everyone. Whenever I stand up here and preach, you better go home and make sure that what I'm saying is biblical. If Pastor Jamal comes up here and preaches the word, you better check what he says is biblical. If Pastor Nate stands up here, you better check what we say as biblical. Don't want you to just hear it from us. We want you to see it for yourself. And if, and if something just doesn't jive right, it doesn't seem right, then lovingly come talk to us. Notice I said lovingly. After the sermon. Amen. Got to check it. Check what others are saying to make sure that it is true. Somebody say check it. You better check it. Whenever you see somebody on TV, you better check what they're saying. Make sure it's measuring up. Hold it up to the light. Whenever somebody's giving you advice, one of your friends, you better check it against Scripture. Make sure it's the right thing that they're telling you to do. People will have you messed up. I want to share with you three ways in which we can defend the truth as a church, and they share some of the same principles as L's defense. If we as a church are going to defend the truth and do it in a practical way, other than just telling people the truth, there are some ways that we can actually live it out. And one of the ways we can do this is by creating turnovers. Creating turnovers. Unlike most teams, Louisville's defense wasn't built to just stop you from scoring. Their defense was built to get turnovers. So their defense didn't start at half court. Their defense started from the time you inbounded the basketball. They were on defense and hustling you so much on the ball that you felt like that they were the offensive team. And so they were designed to create turnovers. And the church, that's exactly what we're called to do to create turnovers for the kingdom of God. Turnovers are when we win souls for God. 
It's when we win souls for God. It's when we make disciples. The truth of the gospel frees souls from the bondage of Satan. And so when we preach the gospel and when we share the gospel with others and, we, and, and they come to Christ and become baptized, they, we, we, we've taken one from Satan. We've stolen one from Satan's kingdom. God is calling us to create turnovers, and we defend the truth by creating turnovers, by making disciples. We're not to be lackadaisical and, and passive. Matthew 28, 19, Pastor Jamal preached that in the first part series. You know, go ye therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey me. We're to make disciples. We're to commit turnovers, to cause turnovers. The second thing we can do as a church is to reject shots. That's what the defense does, right? They create turnovers, and they reject shots. Not, not only are we to create turnovers by winning souls, but we're to reject lies that defy the Word of God, that are not biblical. So whenever we know someone in the church that is continuously sinning against the Lord, God's Word is calling us to engage that person as a brother and sister in Christ and lovingly confront that individual. And so if we know someone... Someone may be uh, cohabitating with one another. They're not married. And we know this. God's word is calling us as defenders of the truth to lovingly confront them and help them to see that they're not sinning against us, but they're sinning against the holy God. So we're to reject, we're to reject shots, reject lies, and, and those lies are built up from, from the, a, a world that doesn't know God and who doesn't care about the truth and who's trying to define what truth is. I like what Galatians chapter 6 says. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. It says, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, for you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Straight from God's word. This is what we are called to do as defenders of the truth and the pillar and the foundation of the truth. So not only are we to create turnovers and reject shots, but we're to grab rebounds. We're to grab rebounds. Rebounds are people who have been beaten down by life's issues. And they need to be ministered to in some kind of way. When we're going through trials and tribulations, the devil's voice seems to be even louder than ever. When we're going through something, it seems like we hear him more clearly casting doubt that God is near and that he doesn't care about us. And so when we hold up the truth of the gospel and show that he does love us, that he does care about us, that rejects the lies and, and we grab a rebound from, and we help those individuals to rebound on their feet. And that's what the church is called to do, to minister to people during times of adversity so that they can rebound in their life. And God has uniquely equipped us to do that. We see some of those things taking place here at Forest with the food pantry. People who are struggling maybe to put food on their table. And so God has uniquely positioned us to be able to minister to them as well as other churches to provide food. And in doing so, we grab rebounds. The emergency assistance fund when individuals are in need of help and the church comes along, that individual says, we're going to help. We're grabbing rebounds. When someone is tempted to give up because they feel like it's no use in serving or, 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 or being faithful to God. And a brothers and sisters in Christ come alongside them and talk with them and minister to them. We're grabbing rebounds. And don't, don't miss it. The devil will try to use these particular situations to draw people further away from God than, than toward God. And so the church is to hold up the truth, to support that truth, and to defend the truth. Not only is the church called to defend the truth, not only do we see the church called to defend, but we see the church's health. In verses 6 through 10, it says, If you point these things out to the brothers, you will be good ministers of Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, brought up in the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. 
have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. What Paul is saying here, not only do we see the church's call to be the pillar and the foundation of the truth and, and how the churches defend the truth against the enemy, but we see that the defending the truth leads to a healthy church. Defending the truth leads to a healthy church. It leads to a church that looks more like God. I, I want to remind us that the church is not some ambiguous term that is referring to the building, but it's referring to the people in the church. And when we defend the truth, the lives of God's people are spiritually better from it, and we're able to bear the true image of God. In verse 6, where Paul says, If you point these things out to the brothers, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus. That word minister is actually deacon, which means servant. He says, if you point these things out, if you point the things that have I instructed you, and I think specifically what he's talking about are the preceding verses where he's talking about the false teachers. If you point these things out, then you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. And that is not just a calling for the pastors or the deacons. That's a calling of everyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ. Every believer is called to be a servant of Christ. And so Paul is letting Timothy know that, the war, that he would be a good servant if he would lay these things down before the church. And by doing so, it would lead to a healthy church. All this is possible because of the good training Timothy had received. As we see in that verse 6, it says, brought up in the truths and the faith of the good teaching that you have followed. So Paul, Timothy could not defend the truth if he had not been brought up in the truth. But we see that he was brought up in the truth. I think some of us are not able to defend the truth because we're spiritually out of shape. We can't defend the truth because we're spiritually out of shape. Just as physical health is important to the success of a championship team, the spiritual health of a church member, of everyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ, is important to the success of the church. You make a difference. I make a difference. Each and every person makes a difference in the church of God, in the house of God. And that's something we need to keep in mind. The church is only as healthy as the members that make up the church. The church is only as healthy as the members that make up that church. It kind of reminded me of when we went to Puerto Rico, just being in shape. We went to Puerto Rico on the mission trip, and we had this bright idea that uh, Minister Maceo would be the one to play some basketball with a lot of the guys. And then after you get done playing basketball, I'm going to share the gospel with them as well. A couple of problems. One, I hadn't played basketball in quite some time, so I wasn't in basketball shape. And I didn't quite have basketball clothes on. And so by the time it got time to me sharing the gospel, I was worn out. I started sharing the gospel, and about midway through, I felt lightheaded. And I was like, Lord, I know you're just not going to have me passing out when I'm sharing the gospel. I'm doing this for you. I had to tag Deacon Dent to come in at halftime and uh, to, 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 to keep sharing the gospel until I can recuperate because I was out of shape physically. And it reminds me kind of how we are spiritually. Spiritually out of shape to where we can't share the gospel. We can't defend the truth because we haven't been following the gospel ourselves. And so... That's what Paul lays before us in verse 7. He says, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. He says, forget about the things that don't make any difference, that don't have any spiritual value for you. Man, if you're spending three hours playing a video game, it has no value. He says, do that which... It's for spiritual benefit. He says physical training has some value. But he says spiritual 
He says, Godliness has value for all things, holding promise for this life and the life to come. If we're going to get spiritually fit, there's a couple things we need to do. One is spend time with the team. If you want to get fit, you got to spend time with the team a little bit. Many of us are out of shape because we refuse to spend any more time than possible than with those who God has called us to spend time with. If I'm on L's basketball team, and the only time you see me with the team is on the court, but outside of the court, you see me hanging around with UK players all the time? <laughs> Something just ain't right about that. Something's just not right about that. No knock to my UK brothers. I'm just, it, it, you, you look at that. I mean, it, it's, it's, if I don't ever want to spend time with the, with, the, with the people of God, then that's a problem. And if I want to grow, I got, I, we grow as a community. Not individually, we, we do grow individually, but we grow together collectively. Iron, as, as iron sharpens iron, man sharpens one another. So likewise, we need to stretch ourselves by sharing life with one another outside of Sunday morning. And I know it's challenging, I know it's difficult sometimes, because I, and that's something that I had to work on. But it, it's been so profitable for me growing spiritually. Not only do we need to spend time with the team, but we need to spend more time in the playbook. I didn't know how any other way to do it, but you need to spend, if you're going to defend the truth and become spiritually fit, we need to spend more time in the playbook. I love Christian books and literature. I love, praise God, for blessing the church with an abundance of Christian material we have a blessing that many countries and many Christians just do not have. Many countries, people are, don't even have a Bible, let alone a Christian book. And so we enjoy so many privileges. If we want to go to get a book, we can go to Lifeway or order it on the Internet. You can find any book you want to find. You can find a book on prayer, on sin, on God, on Jesus Christ. You can find an abundance of books. But... Thank you, Tina. But that's not the playbook. God's Word, the Bible, is the playbook. I need to spend more time in His book. God's Word is the authority. It's the, it's, his Scripture is authoritative. And so there's nothing wrong with reading the other Christian material, but I need to spend more time in his playbook to see directly what God would have me to hear and what God wants me to do. And sometimes we don't want to do that because it requires a little bit more work and a little bit more effort because we got to do a little studying and it's a little, it, it may not come to us as quickly as we would like for it to come, but, but how profitable and how, how, much, how great it is when we give ourselves to the Lord and, 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 and learn and, through his word. So we need to do these things. How the Word helps us to grow spiritually. The Word will help reveal sin in our life that, that we need to repent of. Defending the truth. God's Word, the light, will help us to see sin in our lives so that we may repent of it. It reveals to us also who God is and what God is like. So that we could de deny and reject the lies that the world builds up about what God is and who God is and what He likes. It gives us direction in how do we ought to live our, our life in a way that we can glorify God. And it also reminds us of the great promises of God. So if we're going to become spiritually fit so that we may be able to defend the truth and contribute to the overall health of God's body, those are just a couple of things that we can do. There's so many more, but those are just a couple. Now, I've talked about a great deal and mentioned a great deal about defending the truth. But the fact of the matter is, it all points back to faith. It points back to our faith in Jesus Christ. It all starts with believing that God's word is trustworthy. If we don't believe that God's word is trustworthy, then we will not defend God's word. One thing is for certain, we will not defend something we don't believe in ourselves. We won't defend it. Defending the truth requires faith. If we don't 
find God's word trustworthy, we will ignore opportunities to help others who, see, who do not see their sin, and we will not be able to help others and even help ourselves. And God has shown us that he is worthy of our trust. He is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our glory. He is worthy. God is worthy. He shows us that he's trustworthy by sending his son Jesus Christ to down the cross for your sins and my sins. He shows he's worthy and that he's faithful in that even when we were yet sinners, even though day in and day out we reject God and we don't do all that God calls us to do, God remains faithful. He continues to give us air to breathe and he continues to bless us in, in so many different ways, spiritually and physically. God has shown himself to be trustworthy. He is worth defending. But before we can defend the truth, we must believe the truth for ourselves. And so I, I pray that if, if there's someone here this, this, this morning that does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I pray that you will come to know the truth. Until you give your life to Jesus Christ, you're living a life of lies. Regardless of how good we try to be, how morally right we try to be, unless I have accepted Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ says that those who know the truth, they listen to me. Follow the truth. God is the measuring line. He is the plumb line of what is righteous, what is good, what is true. And so we're called to follow him, not follow the opinions of the world. It's a problem if the church is conformed by the culture's opinions of what truth is. And it saddens me to see us following after the ways of the world when we have the very truth and the very word of God. Will you put your trust in Jesus Christ? Will you trust him enough to defend the truth, even if it means you'll be ridiculed, even if it means that people will look at you a little bit different than what they do now? Are you willing to sacrifice your reputation for God? Are you willing to sacrifice your reputation for God? That's the question I think we need to ask ourselves. God is truly worthy. Let us pray. Our Father God, Lord, we...